this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 29. Uh, and I was told uh, as I walked in that uh, you were in the Psalms over the summer. Uh, and the Psalms are what we are taking students through this semester. So uh, this should be some familiar territory to you, uh, the Psalms. Uh, let me pray for us as we come to this psalm. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that your voice is powerful. And just as the psalm that we're about to read together makes crystal clear that it is more powerful than we can imagine. And that the power of your voice is something that we should actually tremble before. And yet with all of its power, it can be so gentle. As you speak peace over us, as you declare your kindness and your steadfast love and your faithfulness towards us, Lord, I simply ask that you would quiet our hearts this morning, that we might hear from you, and that in hearing from you, we might know you, and in knowing you, we might love you more deeply as we leave this place than when we came into this place, that you would meet with us, and by our meeting with you, that our lives would be changed. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Psalm 29, if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. This is a Psalm of David. And he says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord the glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So clearly this psalm is all about the majesty and the awesome power of God's voice. That seven times in a total of 11 verses, David says the phrase, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. That that is David's primary concern in this psalm. The power of God's voice. 
And, and he uses this metaphor of this powerful and destructive storm to help us visualize the power of God's voice. And so for a moment, if you will, think back to a time in your life when, when perhaps you stood in the path of a powerful storm. Or you saw the devastation that a powerful storm had wrecked on a place as it had passed through. Being in Louisiana, I'm sure many of you might remember Hurricane Katrina. Maybe you were there when that happened or you, you saw the devastation afterwards. A few years ago, I was on staff at a church in Fort Worth and uh, it was after the, the tornado that wrecked through Joplin, Missouri. And I, I took a, a crew from the church up there to, to help with the cleanup and, and all of that. And this was back in May of 2011 that that hurricane came through. And I personally had never in my life seen destruction like what that tornado did to that city. It was an EF5 category tornado, which is the most destructive category of, of tornado that, that you can have. It caused 158 fatalities, 1,150 injuries. It had wind speeds between 220 to 250 miles per hour, which could take 300-pound parking stops you know those things in a parking lot that, that keep you from going too far in, in your car over the parking, uh, your parking spot? It, it ripped up 300-pound parking stops that were, were uh, nailed in with steel rebar, ripped them from their spots, and threw them 300 yards. That's how powerful it was. Steel trusses in buildings were just rolled up like paper. A city truck was tossed 125 yards and wrapped around a tree that had its bark completely stripped off of it by the power of the wind. And that's just a little bit of the, the destruction that it caused. And I remember on that trip, driving down Main Street of Joplin, Missouri, and as you're driving down, everything seemed perfectly normal. You're passing by businesses and restaurants and homes and neighborhoods, and then all of a sudden, there was just this line that we crossed. There was this, this eerie kind of demarcation between what the tornado had left untouched and the, the mile-wide swath of destruction that it had created, that, that lasted for 22 miles that it had been, that it had touched down and, and gone through. It, it was like a war zone. Everything as far as you could see was just flattened. And in Psalm 29, David is saying, that that is the kind of power that God's voice has. That is the kind of strength that God's voice possesses. Our problem is that we often fail to recognize the power of that voice. 
in contrast to, to that Joplin tornado, I, I thought about this picture that went viral on the internet a few years ago of this guy up in Canada who's like mowing his yard and in, in, mowing his backyard and they live on the plains somewhere and off in the distance there's a tornado touching down and he's just casually mowing his yard paying no attention to it seemingly oblivious to the destructive power that is right over his shoulder. And we are so much like that guy mowing his yard. That God's voice is so powerful, so strong, and we pay so little attention. We're oblivious. Some of us just completely ignore God's word. We pay no heed to the fact that God has spoken or to, to what he has said. Some of us may scoff at God's word, that we find it silly to think that if God does exist, that he would speak to us, and certainly that he would speak to us in a book like this. And so we look down our noses at scripture, and we scoff at it. But most of us in this room probably don't fall into those camps. If there is a camp that we are most tempted to fall into, it is the, the Bible buffet camp. That we treat scripture like going to an all-you-can-eat all buffet, like Golden Corral or, or a Chinese buffet or something, where we can just go down the line and we can pick out what we want and we can just leave the rest behind. The things that trouble us, the things we can't understand, the things we don't really like, We'll just leave that stuff, and we'll take the things that we want, the things that are agreeable to us, the things that make us feel good about ourselves. And what happens when we do this is that we are actually using the, the material of God's Word to, to construct a false image of God, an idol. That we're using His own Word to craft an idol that's usually more in our image than in the image of God. God will not tolerate that. With God, we either have all of Him or none of Him. There's no in-between. There's no in-between. And so we desperately need to heed the voice of the Lord. And Psalm 29 teaches us to do that. As David begins this psalm, he begins in God's heavenly court. In verses 1 through 2, he says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. And so the first question for us as we approach the psalm is, who are these heavenly beings? And throughout the Bible, we're given these, these glimpses into the heavenly court, sometimes kind of vague, sometimes very mysterious. But, but this idea, this, this picture that God is not simply all by himself, 
that there are other supernatural beings, other powerful beings that exist alongside God. God is the most powerful. He is the one that has created them all. And yet there are others with him. And these are the innumerable heavenly creatures that surround his throne, that do his bidding, and above all, that worship his glory. At other times, the Bible calls them angels or cherubim or seraphim. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah, the priest, he goes into the temple of the Lord, and in that chapter, he has this vision of God and his glory. And he sees these, these creatures that he calls seraphim, who are these winged creatures who are flying about the presence of God. And they are calling out to one another, and they are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in Revelation, this morning we read Revelation 5. Revelation 4 and 5 give us another glimpse into the throne room of God. And there we are introduced to these living creatures and these 24 elders and these myriads upon myriads of the heavenly hosts. And in Revelation 4, John says that he hears these living creatures around the throne of God who never cease to say day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And he says that as they do this, that the 24 elders on their 24 thrones cast their, their crowns at the feet of God Almighty and fall on their faces and say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so here at the beginning of David's psalm, he calls on these heavenly beings to ascribe glory to God. And to ascribe glory means to simply state what is true about God. That he is a God of glory. That he is a God of strength. To say that these are the things that belong to God and his being and his character. Because that is what worship is. Worship is simply reflecting back to God everything that he has revealed himself to be in his word. It is stating what is true of God with awe and wonder. God is all sufficient. We can't take anything from God and we can't add anything to God he is perfect in and of himself and so when we worship we're not adding God to God's glory we're not adding to his honor we're simply stating ascribing God this is who you are you're a God of glory you're a God of strength you're a God of power this is why it is so important for us to know God as he has revealed himself in his word. Because the more that we know of God as he has revealed himself in scripture, 
the more that we will have to worship of God. The scriptures will reveal to us more of his glory, more of his strength, more of his splendor that will bring us to our knees in awe and praise so that we can cry out with those heavenly hosts. We can cry out with those living creatures, those 24 elders, those angels around his throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The reading of Scripture and the preaching of God's Word is the fuel for God-exalting worship. It's the fuel for it. When God's Word is neglected, the, the flame of worship gets snuffed out. Now, you may still have people that will gather and give lip service and it may be either highly emotional or, or, or perhaps, on the other hand, it, it's very traditional. And, and maybe on, on this side, it seems very, um, very rooted in, in some, some forms of worship. And over here, it's very rooted in the, the emotions of worship. And yet, on either end where God's word is being neglected, where his character as he has revealed himself in scripture is being neglected. There is no true worship because we can only worship God as he has revealed himself to be. We can only worship the God that we know in scripture. That's why scripture, that's why God's word must be central to our worship. In verses 3 through 9, David moves from the heavenly court to describe the voice of the Lord in this imagery of this storm that's sweeping over the land of Israel. And the storm begins churning out in the Mediterranean Sea. So you might imagine David like standing on the shoreline and he's looking out into the ocean and he sees this storm beginning to churn out there. He says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. It's out there in the sea. And then in verse 5, the storm makes landfall. And as it does, it begins wrecking havoc. He says, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Lebanon was the land north of Israel. And it was renowned throughout the ancient world for its great mighty cedars, its cedar forests. The Babylonians, they believed that their gods actually resided in that forest and that they used the cedars of Lebanon to, to make their dwellings. It was the cedars of Lebanon that King Solomon actually used for the construction of his own palace and the temple in Jerusalem. They were renowned for their great height and strength, and yet, David says, at the voice of the Lord, they're broken like twigs. Snapped into. And then in verse 6, the storm begins moving south. 
He says, he makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Syrian was a mountain at the southernmost tip of Lebanon, and so the northernmost tip of Israel. And it's as if the mountains are trying to flee from the power of God's voice in this storm. And then in verses 7 through 8, it pushes even further south. It says, The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. So the wilderness of Kadesh was the southernmost point of Israel. So the storm has swept in from the sea, and it has tracked across the entire land of Israel from north to south. And then in verse 8 it says, The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And the Hebrew there for the deer giving birth, which seems really kind of odd in this psalm, is really that it, it writhes in labor. In other words, the voice of the Lord, this storm, is so powerful and destructive and scary that it causes the deer to go into labor, to give birth, as it levels everything in its path. And then finally, in his temple, all cry glory. So in the midst of this great storm, there are these people that have gathered in the temple in Jerusalem. And they're worshiping there. And they've seen the destructiveness. They've seen the power of the storm pass through. And they know that this, this storm... And this wind that has ravaged the land is but a puff of air compared to the power of God's voice. And all they can do is cry, glory, glory. To just stand in awe before such a God as this. And then as the storm subsides and calm is brought back to the land, David sees God enthroned in verse 10. He says, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. This imagery of the flood would have spoken great things <laughs> who have spoken volumes into the cultures that surrounded Israel. Because in those ancient pagan cultures, they believed that their gods, in order to create the world and to bring forth humanity, had to wrestle the great sea monsters of the deep, to subdue them and to kill them, and out of that chaos to bring forth creation and life. As opposed to that, the Bible gives us Genesis 1, where in Genesis 1-2, it simply says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There was no cosmic struggle. There was no subduing of the chaos. 
There were no great sea monsters that God had to wrestle into submission and to destroy and to kill in order to bring forth creation and life. There was simply the Spirit of God who was tenderly and peacefully hovering over the deeps, the face of the waters, like like a mother bird might hover over the, the eggs in her nest, nurturing them, preparing them to bring forth life. God does not have to subdue any sea monsters in Scripture. He simply speaks. And the sovereign power of His voice brings life. But there's another flood that may be much closer to David's mind in this psalm. And that would be Noah's flood. Because the Hebrew word that David uses for flood here in Psalm 29 is only used one other place in the Hebrew scriptures. And that is in Genesis 6 through 9, speaking of Noah's flood. God sat enthroned over that flood. That flood was a flood of judgment against the wickedness of man on earth. And yet, in the midst of that judgment, God made a distinction. He did a saving act because Noah was found to be righteous. Noah was faithful to God in the midst of an unrighteous and unfaithful generation. And so God rescued Noah and his family through the judgment of the flood in the ark. And just as the story of Noah ends with God setting his rainbow in the cloud, the sign of peace, this psalm ends in verse 11 with a rainbow with a word of peace. He says, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This God that can bring such great judgment, that can level the forests of Lebanon, that can cause the deer to ride in labor. This is the same God who can speak peace and salvation to those who trust in Him, to those who take refuge in Him, in His ark, in the cross. John the Apostle begins his gospel in John 1, speaking of Jesus and describing Jesus this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. In other words, he's saying that God's voice is so strong, it's so omnipotent, it is so pulsating with life and creation that it is none other than the eternal second person of the Trinity, the very Son of God. That Jesus is the perfect, complete, final, and authoritative revelation of God to mankind. And so when Jesus and his disciples found themselves in the midst of a storm, 
on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples were scared out of their wits because the storm had come up and the waves were swamping the boat and they were being tossed to and fro. And they were afraid they were going to sink and drown there in the Sea of Galilee. And they cried out to Jesus. All Jesus had to do was utter the words, Peace, be still. And suddenly, that storm vanished. And the waves of the sea became as calm as glass. And that wasn't just some cool miracle that Jesus was performing. When Jesus did that, he was declaring himself to be none other than God. It was a statement of his deity that the one whose voice has the power to raise the storm is the one whose voice has the power to calm the storm. And just like Noah in the ark, or the disciples in the boat, or the worshipers in the temple, peace in the midst of the storm can only be found with the one whose voice has power over the storm. And so this morning, let me leave you with just a few questions of application or ways to apply this to your own life, ways to, to think about this in terms of how does this affect you when you wake up tomorrow morning and go to work, feed the kids, take them to school, whatever it may be. First question is, how are you attending to the voice of the Lord in your own life? Are you giving time to God's word, to the preaching of his word, to, to your own personal reading and study of his word, to, to gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ and, and studying the word together. We need to study the word in community because other brothers and sisters can help us to see the things in God's word that we ourselves are blind to sometimes. Maybe because of our own sin, our own biases. And we, in turn, can help them to see things that, that maybe they haven't seen. We help one another. Because the beauty of the body of Christ is that He has given His Spirit to each and every one of us. And so we can use the, the gift of His Spirit in us to, to build each other up and to help each other to attend to God's voice in our lives. The second is, are you letting the whole counsel of God direct your worship of God? Or are you focusing on narrow aspects of God's character? The things that are agreeable to you, the things that you like, the things that are palatable, that are easy for you to swallow and neglecting the rest? Attend to the whole counsel of God in your worship of God. Worship God for His steadfast love. Worship God for His grace and mercy. 
but also find ways to worship God for his justice, to worship God for his holiness, to worship God that he will make all things right, to worship God for the reality that he will come in judgment. And finally, where are the storms in your life that you need to trust Jesus to bring peace. That you need to trust Him to speak His word of power and peace into. David doesn't ask why God sends the storm. Oftentimes we get so caught up on asking why. Why, God? Why have you sent these storms into my life? Are you really good that you would send such storms into my life? David never asks why. He simply trusts that God can bring peace in the midst of those storms. Where do you need to trust God to bring peace? To trust that God is good, that God is faithful, and that God loves you. Let us pray. Lord God, your voice is more powerful than we can comprehend. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken, and we thank you that your voice has ultimately been manifested to us, been shown to us, has come to us in the very person of your son, Jesus who being the eternal Son of God has become man, who being the eternal Word of God took on flesh and has dwelt among us and has shown us your power, has shown us your character, has shown us ultimately your love. And Lord, just as, as Noah entered into the ark to be rescued from the flood of judgment, may we enter into the ark of the cross to find safety, to find refuge, to find salvation, and to know that you are the God who sits enthroned over the flood, that you are king forever. And that you delight to rescue your people, to pour your love upon us, and to give us peace in the midst of the storm. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.